0: There are commands and promises, there are confessions and wonderful statements of forgiveness. And I pray that we will meet ourselves today in the holy word of God. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. One old wise sage has said, the problem with too many of us is that we have grown old without growing up. And I feel that. The very fact that you have matured through age does not mean that you have, and you and I have matured through char- in character. And so how do we grow up? We grow up by getting knocked down. It's the difficulties and trials of life that cause us to grow. It's kind of like boxing. When life is throwing us punches, we cannot duck them all. And after so many body blows have landed and punches to the head have taken their toll, we fall down and hit the canvas. But the question is this. Will we get up again? Will we learn how to box better? Or will we give up altogether famous boxer was getting beat badly in one particular bout and between bells he went back to his corner man now the corner man is there to encourage and coach and uh so the boxer sat down and he was bloodied and the corner man said listen you got this guy he ain't nothing he hasn't landed a glove on you he hasn't touched you The boxer said, well, you better look look at that referee because someone out there is killing me. (laughs) And that sounds to me a lot like the Christian life. Somebody out there is killing me. Sometimes somebody, the evil one, who like a roaring lion seeks to devour you. Sometimes it's providence, the things that happen in life in a broken world like our own. I'm getting killed out there, what do I need to do? Well, I think there is help for us in Psalm 131. And I want you to turn there. The beautiful, little, simple Psalm 131. And when you open up your Bibles, you have some introductory words. And often people dismiss those as being purely that, introductory, added by an editor. But they are found in the original Hebrew text. So I invite you to focus your attention on the words the Ascent Songs. Songs of Ascent. Sometimes they're called the Pilgrim Songs. Uh, The book of Psalms, largest in the Bible, is divided into subsections. You have Lament Psalms and you have Messianic Psalms and Royal Psalms and and uh, prayers and whatnot, but this is in the ascent, the pilgrim psalms. They go from number 120 all the way to number 134. The Hebrew pilgrims, as they made their way up to Jerusalem in a company of travelers, would often sing these songs, and when the road is long, you sing the songs. You've learned that as a parent, right? How do you get through that long holiday trip? Well, you. You with your kids sing songs, or now today put the video on with the songs, but it's the same thing. Uh, the songs will occupy and also focus their attention. And so that's what we have here. I want to th- read the three verses of Psalm 131. And I've been accused at times of taking the Bible apart in small pieces and not finishing a letter for weeks, like with Second Timothy, months, years. I plan to finish this three-verse psalm today. <laughs> I said I plan to. The author is David, so we are told, and David says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Another translation has it too difficult for me to grasp beyond my station. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Another translation adds, who no longer cries for its mother's milk like a weaned child resting upon its mother's breast. I am like a weaned child that is my soul within. I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. This is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the hardest psalms to learn. To become like a weaned child. It's It's a hymn and song of contrast. What he once was and what he now is. But the irony of the psalm is that those positions have switched. What he is now, he wasn't. And things have switched. Some traumatic situation. Some growth in his life. Something has happened to make David... Say what he couldn't have said earlier. Attitudes change. By the process of providence, we sometimes call life or trials. Notice, first of all, David talks about the haughty heart, and he says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern or involve myself with great matters. Things too wonderful for me. This is a testimonial that he has conquered pride. And I am always suspicious of someone who says proudly, I am not proud. <laughs> How can you say that, David? I know something of your life. David is opening himself up to comparison and perhaps even ridicule. But <clears throat> maybe, and we don't know exactly when, maybe David wrote this early in his life. Remember David early in his life? What is he? Shepherd boy. On the hills of Bethlehem. His brothers go out to war and he stays back home taking care of the sheep. David did not plan and plot to become the king of Israel. In fact, when his own family was chosen, his father Jesse put all the other brothers forward and left David behind because surely he's not the guy. David was humble in those humble years when he could have killed King Saul. He didn't. And so maybe writing in these younger years with reference to not every area of his life, but to the general tenor of his political life, his governmental life, I am not proud. I'm not totally convinced that this is David, though, in his early life. David did not, like Saul, try to thrust himself into the priesthood and offer sacrifices. That is true. But David did some things that causes me to think. This is the older David who's gone through a traumatic experience. It's good not to be filled with pride. Psalm 10, 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all of his thoughts, there's no room for God, Find a person who doesn't believe in God, find a person who believes in God but has very few thoughts of God, and you will have found a proud soul. So the Bible tells us. The Scottish proverb used to say, pride and grace never dwell in one place. And that's biblical. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the principle of heaven so often ignored here on earth. And did you notice the eyes have something to do with it? I know know this is a Hebrew parallelism where you basically say the same thing in the second line that you said in the first line in a slightly different way. That's Hebrew poetry. But what he is saying is that the eyes often tell us if a person is proud. The desire of the heart comes through the eyes, whether it's love Whether it's indifference or whether it's arrogance. In Proverbs 16, we read there are six things which God hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And you know what number one is? The haughty eyes. The look of the proud person. In Proverbs 12, 17, haughty eyes and a proud heart. And the lamp of the wicked is sin. By the way, you and, I, you and I have a better ability to see in others what is there than we do to see what is in us. In other words, I can see pride in people all the time. Wow, I think I've got a gift. <laughs> that person's arrogant, and I hate arrogance. But maybe the reason I can see it in others so clearly is because it's so present in myself, but I don't see it. Someone said pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. (laughs) Don't you hate being around arrogant, proud, selfish people? Self is the center of their universe. And God, if he's in, is on the periphery. He's not even in their thoughts most of the time. I wonder how often God is in your thoughts. Pride undervalues people. Pride always evaluates everything that's going on. Well, well, you know, this government is horrible and the Detroit Tigers are useless, and my family is made up of a bunch of idiots. And do you see how that family parents their kid over there? Man, the pride undervalues everything around it. And notice ambition in verse 1. The haughty heart has a grasping, reaching ambition to be great. I do not, David now says, I do not involve myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me that is beyond my station Too difficult for me to grasp. Now David is not saying that you and I need to grow and develop and improve our lives. What he's saying is that sometimes there is this presumption within us that we can handle more than we can. Do you remember James and John who came with their mother to Jesus one day and said, I hear the kingdom is coming Mrs. Zebedee Salome said, uh, could you give a place of position of authority for my one son, John, and my other son, James, right hand and left hand, could you do that? And the boys, this this scene would have been comical. The boys are going, yeah, Mom. Who comes with their mom to get a promotion? (laughs) And Jesus said, can you drink the drink that I'm going to drink? And they said, We can bring it on. Not difficult. (laughs) Your heart is proud. Pride is a sin, and now it's ambition, selfish ambition that David says is gone for him. That's interesting. I'm not trying to replace God anymore says David the proud says most things including people are beneath me there are a few things that are above me and I'm equal with God (laughs) now you never articulate it that way but that's what pride says I'm equal with God I don't need him I can take care of things myself if you needed God you'd be praying every day If you need, prayer is a confession of dependence. The lack of prayer is a confession of independence. So the boastful man says, I can handle it all. Bring it on. But they fail to see that there is an infinite gulf between God and man. God, the one who has no limits, man who is finite. It's the book of Deuteronomy that informs us in chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to us and to our children so that we might follow his law. There's a bunch of secret things we do not know. And the things revealed to us we struggle to understand. How much of the infinite character and person of God has been revealed to us? If you put a percentage on it. If God is infinite... And he's revealed some truth to us. What is the percentage? It's so small you can't come up with it. Because infinity runs beyond our imagination. But God has revealed himself to us in a wonderful book called the Bible. And we need to dedicate ourselves to read it. To try to understand it. To reflect upon it. And do it. But the haughty person says I don't need it. Corey ten Boom when she was a little girl, had some questions for her father about sexuality and her father answered with silence. He then broke the silence by saying, Corey, I want you to go over there and pick up that trunk and bring it to me, hoping that the trunk may contain some answers that she was looking for. She went over and picked up the trunk, but it was too heavy. And she said to her father, I cannot handle it. I'm too weak. And her wise father said, And so you are not ready yet to handle the answers to your questions. And I love this next phrase in the story. And this response satisfied Corey because she trusted her father. You and I have... A bunch of questions we want answers to. And God says, you're not ready for it. And we say, oh yes we are. Bring it on. I can handle it. And God says, no you can't. It'll kill you. Why not trust me? Because that's what Christianity is all about. So when did David write this hymn where he could say, I am not proud. Well, there might be a hint in the hymn before it. Psalm 130. For there David said, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, so that thou mayest be feared. I don't know this for a fact, but when was David in the greatest depths of his life? When did he need God's forgiveness when he certainly didn't deserve it? When did he say, Lord, if you have a record of every person's sins, no one could stand before you? I think it was after the great sin with Bathsheba. You've got Psalm 32 that has his confession and Psalm 51 that has his confession. You have probably Psalm 130 that cries out from the depths. And you have Psalm 31 that says, By God's grace, I am not proud. I've been brought down a peg or two and I realize that I am not God. I am not too great To use other people for my wishes. I am not the powerful king who can build up his kingdom. Regardless of God's truth. I cannot have whatever I want. I am not king. I am not proud. I've stopped reaching. To build my own kingdom. Boy if you can say that. You've learned a great lesson. So that's why you come to verse 2, the humble heart. David says, now this is what I am. I used to be proud, but I'm not anymore. And this is what happened, verse 2. I have stilled or calmed and quieted my soul. He says that he has done that. My response to that is understanding Scripture. I believe the Lord is the one who sent the catalyst and David by grace responded as he should have with repentance and faith ultimately he did confessing his sin He said now I'm like a weaned child with its mother who no longer cries for its milk like a weaned child resting against his mother That is my soul within me You mothers know what the weaning process involves Nursing mother in Western culture will give its child the food it needs in those early months, maybe up to a year. In Eastern cultures, the children would often be still taking their mother's milk until they were four or five. I know that sounds weird to us, but that's the way it was. Johnny, come in from playing, time to eat. <laughs> Oh, I know it sounds gross, but you know the Bible is real. The Bible's in your face sometimes, and here's one of those. But the weaning process is important, because to be attached to one you deeply love, who gives you all the nourishment of life, and it's all you've ever known, and to separate from that dependence is not an easy thing. child's noticeably upset, especially if you're four or five. And then says to the mom, you don't love me anymore. But the mom knows what's best, right? And if this kid is ever going to grow up, the child has to be weaned. The mother must hold her ground. I suppose maybe David was walking through his palace one day after his great sin with Bathsheba. Nathan had pointed it out and he had finally found forgiveness with God and he was began to re- rebuild his life but he was having trouble with his son Absalom and other troubles in the kingdom. Walking through the palace and he hears a baby cry. He walks over and says what's wrong? And the mother says oh this is my child uh, I'm, I'm trying to wean him and he doesn't like it. He's fussing and crying and yelling and screaming but I'm holding my ground, and David says, good, that's what you should do. And as David walks away, he hears the mother tenderly say to that child, you're growing up and it's time. It's time for you to go into a young boy, not a baby. David goes back to his desk and writes Psalm 131, I'm like a weaned child. The child now no longer frets for what it used to find indispensable. And by the way the Hebrew is very interesting here. The humble heart that we now see in verse 2 is not just a child weaned from its mother but the Hebrew says the child has been weaned from its mother as it rests upon her. Now that I find amazing. It's not just that now the child is content with not taking the mother's milk and is separated somewhere else. No, the child is still there, but has been weaned. It was in 1992 that I heard Warren Wersby say this. Life is a process of repeated separations, of weanings, if you will. Each stage is designed to prepare us for the next. And the growth hurts. The transition is painful as we're weaned from the people we love and the places we know to step out and trust God. Like a new born baby who is now at the age of being weaned cries out for its mother's milk so you and I are all about us, right? Do you have to teach a baby to be selfish? They're very good at it. And they're crying out, I want to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied now. But life is about weanings. C.S. Lewis said this Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had been done yesterday. Well, I thought I was building. <laughs> I thought I was making progress. But it seems like now, today, I'm miles back of where I once was because now's a new day and I can't say, well, I trusted you yesterday, Lord, so how's, is that good for today? And he says no. No. We're going to go through the process all over again. I'm going to wean you from something else today. What is God going to wean us from? The things that used to feed us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The things we love. The things we cry out for. The thing that self wants. And we cry. Until we're humbled. How do you convince a child... ...that doesn't want to be detached from his mother... leave is that an easy process how does a a mother bird teach its offspring to fly (laughs) that to me sounds really harsh if there's some process of uh, claiming abuse in the animal world I think every mother bird would be in trouble but they learn to fly don't they I don't know what the tragedy rate is but they learn to fly. (laughs) And I do know this, God does the same thing with a spiritual, loving, swift kick. (laughs) It's time for you to fly. But I don't want to fly, I love the nest, what a great view. And you feed me everything I want. All I have to do is open my mouth and make some noise. And if you don't feed me, I make a little more noise. And then finally you come and feed me. Mom says, I'm done with it. I've had it up to here. Boom, you're out on your own. Now, God doesn't have negative human attitudes. He loves you more than you'll ever love yourself. And he knows that your temporary condition will last but for a moment. And if you're going to grow up, you need to go into something that's permanent. This is freedom. Try to tell that to the little child. This is for your good. This is freedom. The old dependence holds us back from reaching true freedom. And so God takes things from us. Not because they are necessarily bad, but because there is something infinitely better. Infinitely better. And that leads us to the third and final verse. The hopeful life. Ben Patterson is a pastor from California, writes for Leadership Magazine, and he had three bulging discs in the back lumbar region and and, uh, was in pain. And so the doctor said, What you need is six weeks of laying in bed. The bed was too soft, so Ben Patterson had to lay on the hard floor for six weeks. Now he's a pastor, and he says, Now I can do nothing. I'm absolutely useless. He said, getting up and going to the bathroom was a race between his capacity for pain and the capacity of his bladder. But that's all he could do, and he was useless. So I said, well, I can't do anything. I guess I'll pray for my congregation. He decided to pray for every member in his congregation that took three hours, and he did that every day. He began to heal, and as he was healing, he remembers telling the Lord, Lord, Thank you for the things that you've taught me. I guess now that I'm back on my job, I won't be able to pray as much as I used to. And the Lord said, Ben, you idiot. He didn't use those words. Ben. He said, Ben, the trouble with you is when you're well, you think you're in charge. And when you're sick, you know you aren't. That's what the Lord says to us. When you're well, you think you're in charge. When you're sick, you know you're not. You're never in charge. So now the weaned soul enters into a new stage of hope. Self is no longer the center of the universe. By the way, this is how Psalm 130 ends. The psalm just before it. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is abundant mercy. With him is plenteous redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all her iniquities. There's hope in the Lord. O proud soul, God opposes you, but O humble soul, there's hope and grace and mercy and forgiveness from the mighty hand of Almighty God. Warren Worsby once wrote a book entitled Meet Yourself in the Psalms. I love that title. Meet yourself in the Psalms. We read the Psalm, this is about David, this happened long ago. No, this is about you, and it's happening this morning. Haughty soul? Quieted, humble soul? Filled with hope, enough to share with all your friends and family? That's what David does. Now his heart is radically been changed when self is gone there is a large room in the heart for hope (laughs) some of you have garages filled with junk and you can't get your car in now if that's your plan that's fine I built this garage to be a storage shed I paid thirty thousand dollars for this car I'll let it set out in the sun and rain That may be your plan, and that's really up to you. Who am I to judge? That takes me back to verse 1, doesn't it? (laughs) But if you would get some of that large junk you never use out of the garage, you might have room for your car. When you get self out of the room of your heart, there is room for hope. And it comes flooding in because God wants to fill your soul with hope. What is hope? It's optimism in God. It's the recognition that I can't do it, but God can. It's placing your faith in the promises of God that gives you a quick step for tomorrow. Hope is seeing God all around you. Hope is trust. Weaning removes us from a temporary condition so that we might be placed in a permanent condition. Now it is not the feeding that comes from the mother. You're able to feed yourself. In the spiritual sense, now it's not feeding off the world and the things of the world and feeding off our pride. We're now feeding on hope. We're laying our head on the breast of our Savior. We're reclining with Him and resting in Him by faith. That makes all the difference in the world. So the storyline in this small little hymn goes like this. It's the story of a proud person who was weaned from his arrogant ambitions and finds perfect satisfaction in the Lord. Wouldn't you like that to be you? When's the time... When when is the last time you felt content, filled with peace, and filled with hope? Pride brings a person low, says Proverbs 29, but the lowly in spirit are lifted up. I think it was John Bunyan who said, speaking about humility and lowliness. Those who are low need fear, no fall. (laughs) If you're up on the grandstand of your pride, it's a a shaky support. It's a wonderful story about a, a general in World War II named General Howard. He had led his troops to victory And at the conclusion of the war, was asked to lead his brigade in a parade down Main Street. However, one morning, just before the parade, his commander, commanding officer, came to him and said, Listen, General, I'm sorry, but because of a political favor, your predecessor, who was not even in that particular war, gets to lead your troops in the parade. The general, of course, was upset. The news hit him hard. He believed that he should be leading his troops in the parade as he led them in battle. And the commanding officer agreed, but he said, it's out of my hands, there's nothing I can do. Higher up has given this man the privilege. And then the commanding officer said to General Howard, you're a Christian, aren't you? Perhaps you could take this like a Christian. Ooh. He said, yes, you're right, I am a Christian. I will let my predecessor lead the troops in the great parade. Thank you, said his commanding officer. I appreciate your attitude. We'll let him take his place in front of your brigade in the parade tomorrow. But I want you to meet me at 9 o'clock before the parade starts. And I want you to walk with me At the head of the army. (laughs) That's what Jesus does. Lose your little pride. And join me. In hope. Let's pray. There's so many days I cannot say. I am not proud. But this morning, I pray that each one of us who are believers can say, wean me, Lord, from self and sin, that I might hope in Christ. Lord, I pray that as believers, we would be done with selfishness and pride. Oh, it will be a battle, and sometimes the ugly demon will raise its head. But may he be slain by the cross of Christ. The fact that we are accepted in Christ not because of our own doing and everything we have that is of value comes from Christ and we are nothing without Christ but in Him. We'll walk in the conquering parade of heaven joint heirs with Jesus because God opposes the proud but He gives grace to the humble. Amen. Amen.